0: Make yourself a cuppa, grab a comfortable seat and join us in one of life's conversations with your host, Suzanne Barber. Welcome back to another episode of Life's Conversations, where we chat about all things mental health and well-being. I'm Suzanne Barber, life coach, menopause mentor, and divorce and breakup coach um, from Barber Coaching. Now, one thing in life that we know that can significantly affect our mental health is dispute or conflict. And one of the things that we tend to shy away from most as human beings is conflict and uncertainty, particularly during a divorce or a breakup, as was many of you know my experience so today i'm very excited to say we're joined by the wonderful nicola crowther a northeast business owner who specializes in family mediation with her team at crowther mediation so nicola welcome to life's conversations it's lovely to have you with us well thank you for having me what a pleasure I'm very excited so I actually met your colleague didn't I Judith um yes. who we were just saying in the in the kind of the little interview beforehand who firmly threw you under the bus <laughs> to come and do <laughs> uh, the podcast today but we're really um we're really thankful that you've, you've taken the time to, to spend this with us as well because I fully appreciate how busy you must be as well so it's much appreciated that you've taken the time to talk to us today um what I'd like to ask you, first of all, Nicola, if that's all right with you, is just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to uh, to get into mediation because that wasn't your first law experience, was it?
1: No, not at all. So. I started, uh, started in law when I was 18. Ironically, I got a job in a law firm at, working on reception. Uh, I never really left, um, and I ended up doing everything in evening classes. So I'd spent a, a lot of years doing um, family law and some civil commercial law as well. Uh, and sort of after sort of 10, 12 years of this, um, I had a bit of an epiphany. Uh, I remember one day, coming out of court with a client and I thought we had done really well. She had, she'd got about 15,000 pounds more than her husband. And I was sort of secretly inwardly punching the air thinking, yes, we did really well there. And I looked at my client thinking she would be thrilled. And, and I think probably it was the first time I'd really properly looked at her. And I'd been working with this woman for about four years at this point And I realized she had just completely aged. And she looked completely jaded. And I said, well, we did really well there, didn't we? And she said, mm-hmm. And I said, you, you got 15,000 more than him. And so she said, Nicola, if I could have paid you 15,000 pounds four years ago, not to have had to do this process, I would cheerfully have done it. And at that moment, I was always you know, super conscious of my enormous bill in the background as well to go with that. So 15,000 was largely swallowed up by illegal fees. And actually, I just came away thinking, well, what has she really achieved? What, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, what is the cost of that on her? Uh, you know, how do we quantify that? And, and is there a better way? There has got to be a better way. And ironically, at around that time, I also had a Spanish client, uh, a guy who was working at Nissan and, he had had a baby with somebody who lived uh, locally here in the UK and he was saying to me, why do the English always fight? Why are you obsessed with having a fight over everything? And I, being a solicitor at the time, I took complete affront to this and said, you know, well, we don't. And he said, yes, yes, as well, what do you do in Spain? And he said, oh, in Spain, we have one solicitor and we sit down and each have a conversation with that solicitor and come up with a plan. And I thought that can't possibly be true. How can one solicitor advise two people? Surely not. So I went home that night and I researched this and I realised what he was describing to me was mediation. And so um, I realised then that mediation was happening right across the continent, all over Europe uh, and wasn't so big in the UK. Uh, And as a result of that, sort of the legal aid bill um, across Europe was approximately one seventh of what it was here in the UK, We are, as taxpayers, paying a fortune in legal aid for people to go to court and argue about their their disputes when in actual fact, we could save the taxpayer and the client a huge sum of money by just mediating instead. So I had met my, my client who I wanted. I knew I wanted to do something different. I just didn't know what it was until I spoke to my Spanish client and thought, hang on a moment, we should mediate. And that's when I retrained as a mediator.
0: That is so significant. That's a significant amount of of, of difference, isn't it, between sort of the yeah. context and here? Mm-hmm. Yes, we think that we've kind of taken on a more. Um, I guess American way of dealing with things in the legal process where everything like turns into a conflict or we, we take everybody's yes. heart for everything. You know, we I yes. see a lot of that. You know, where threaten mm-hmm. threaten legal action, you know, if they don't do what you want them to do or, or what have you, which mm-hmm. is just seems like a yeah. Almost an
1: epidemic, yeah. isn't it? Well, it does. We have become a very litigious society all of a sudden, and I say all of a sudden because it feels all of a sudden. I was having this big conversation with some students in a lecture last week, uh, and I was talking about the seismic changes I've seen in mediation in just ten years. You know, uh, the fact that the government are pouring so much money and funding and support into mediation now, uh, and More recently, you know, they they have decided that any small claim worth 10,000 or less uh, should go through a small claims mediation service. People should mediate it rather than going through court. And I was thinking, well, what drives that? Why suddenly have the government become so interested in this? And when you really look into it, it's because there is huge backlogs at court. It is going to take 47 weeks at the moment for the court to make a decision in relation to a children related issue. That's 47 oh. weeks a child waits to find out who they're going to live with, you know. Uh, for a civil commercial dispute, you're looking at um, just over 52 weeks. You know, this is a long time. If you're a business, your business is stifled while you're trying to resolve this. Can you afford to wait a year, 18 months on this? Not really,
0: you know, and it's not it's great. You yeah. had as well, it was in court for, what, four years? Well, four that's years. That's four years that time. took.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of so stress. It, so it made me think, why have we got these big court backlogs? And everyone says, oh, it's the pandemic. But I think we can't just blame everything for forever on the pandemic. It's been a nice excuse for a while, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, the students and I were talking about this, and I was saying my concern is that it's because we have become this litigious society. We find it far too easy to issue proceedings. Everything can be done online these days much more accessible than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, gosh, think back to the 80s. If you wanted to sue somebody, it involved having to get suited and booted and going to see a fancy solicitor on the high street and paying Mm -hmm. a ton of money. And now you can do it from the comfort of your own couch with a glass of wine in your hand at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, if you felt like. And I think people are, are alive to that, and they know their rights better than they have done before. And people are more inclined, therefore, to do it. Whether or not they should do it, Is an entirely different matter. Just because Mm. they can doesn't mean they should. And so I think that there is an awful lot of cases clogging up the court system at the moment that actually should be just dealt with in mediation and not actually going through a court process.
0: That's really interesting how Mm -hmm. just that turnaround of of method in terms of, you know, not going to the high street feel quick to you because for me, I mean, when I went through my divorce, we're talking what, five or six years ago now. Um, it took a good year, by the way, so I wish I'd have met you mm-hmm. then. Um <laughs> and that was a really simple divorce as well. <laughs> in yeah. theory. Um you know, I trolled the high street, suited and booted. You know, talking to talking mm-hmm. to solicitors didn't occur to me to even look online or, um, you know, think no. that actually. Because I also hear from from clients that I work with in the in the menopause space and the divorce and breakup space um, that they do kind of the quickie ones online as well. The quickie divorces yes. online,
1: yeah. Oh, so. Yeah. So everybody talks about a quickie divorce and really there is kind of no such thing. Once you issue divorce proceedings, it takes exactly the same length of time from start to finish, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people are really talking about is because um, when we talk about divorce, people tend to talk about it in the round and they're really talking about what comes with the divorce, the division of the matrimonial assets and the finances. That's the bit that takes forever. That's the bit that goes on for months and months. The divorce bit itself is really just ticky box form filling and it, you know, mm. has a life of its own uh, and a set time frame for, for that to happen. But it's sensible not to get the divorce finalized. Until you've sorted out the children and the finances and everything else. Um, so the divorce tends to get held back, waiting for those things to get mm-hmm. dealt with. And it's those things that take a long time if you go through a court process. However, mm-hmm. they can be done so much quicker
0: through mediation. You heard it here, folks. Quicker, quicker through mediation. <laughs> <laughs> and probably a heck of a lot cheaper as well. So, well, yeah. It- <laughs> Tell us about mediation then, because in my head, this might be my old, mm-hmm. my own old fashioned view, and maybe some listeners are screaming, don't be so sick, this is ridiculous. Um, but for me, mediation, I always thought of it as a means of repairing a relationship or making some agreement around a relationship, whether it's a business relationship, whether that's a, a marriage or a relationship breakdown with, with you know, mm-hmm. somebody who are who are close to you but that's not necessarily what it is is it so tell us a little bit no. about what the no. is and does and how it how it works yeah you're
1: dead right loads of people come to us thinking it's marriage guidance or couples counseling and it it absolutely isn't i don't think i'd be very good at that um it is about saying you are separated you're going your separate ways what does the future now look like so a lot of the time i will say to my clients we are not here to play a blame game how you've got to this point is probably really neither here nor there and we can sit and talk till midnight and you'll never agree who's at fault here But that doesn't matter because it doesn't take you any further forward. What we need to do is say practically and get practical really quick and say, what have we got in the pot? How are we now going to make two homes out of one? Where are the children going to be living? How is everyone going to afford to live month to month? Does everybody have something in the pot for retirement? Does everybody have a roof over their head? That's, that's what we need to talk about. And so, yes, when people come to us and say, oh, it's about, you know, reconciling, it isn't. But it is about salvaging a relationship to a degree, especially where there's children involved. Because, again, we'll always say you might not be husband and wife anymore, but you will be parents forever you can't take that mantle off and two people not two people, but some people on this planet will always put the two of you together in the same box you know um and so it it is about being able to make sure that they get through the process of separation as quickly as cheaply as possible as unscathed as possible so that actually they can maintain a relationship as parents for their children
0: Mm-hmm. And that must be from your point of view. I mean, I know as as, as a divorced individual, I mean, we didn't have children together. So that's and I fully mm-hmm. recognize that's a, a very different ballgame for many people and can be um, even more emotionally charged. But these are really emotionally charged situations, aren't they, quite often? So how do you cut through to because practicalities don't necessarily it's quite difficult to get to the practicalities when things are so emotionally charged. Yes. So is that, yeah. is that hard to be able to do that and manage those emotions with clients whilst trying to get to the kind of the practical elements of what needs to happen?
1: Massively. So we, we have to be hugely supportive and understanding of, of the very precarious decisions difficult situation that you're dealing with you know uh it isn't just as simple as as i make it sound that we just suddenly get out a pen and paper and come up with a wonderful plan and off they go you know we have to do this sensitively because it's really important to us as mediators that clients take ownership of the decisions we're not judges we're not going to tell people what to do we can make suggestions and look at the options um but we can't tell people what to do When I say people should take ownership of the decision, what I mean by that is I want my clients to leave the process thinking, yeah, you know what? I said I would do that and I feel good about that. And I understand that I gave that up so that I could gain that instead. And therefore, that feels okay to me. I can live with that and it feels right. It's not something that was done to them. It was their decision to do it. That in itself just feels so much healthier straight away. So I think an awful lot of our clients benefit from being heard, from being listened to, from their opinions and their thoughts and their priorities being taken into consideration, which is very different to a court process where everybody's doing the talking for you. You're never really heard. It's all done through a third person. Um, and, and, you know, mentally, mentally. That leaves people with, with a huge mental overhang. You know, They come away thinking, should I, would I, could I have, have done things differently? What if this has happened in court? And I always mm-hmm. say to my clients, I don't want them to have the what ifs. I want them to know. I want them to have peace with this. And that's really important. Um, so yes, we spend a lot of time getting to know our clients really well. Uh, and tailoring the process then to suit their needs. So some clients like to be in the same room across a table from their, their ex-partner or their ex um and some clients would just find that unconscionable and impossible and i totally understand that uh, so we will always say that we can do um shuttle mediation which involves them being in separate rooms we can do this online so they don't even have to leave their house but it's whatever gets them most comfortable so that they can sensibly logically they're in their best thinking place to consider all the options and proposals put to them to try and resolve this. And I think that the, the less chance of them getting overwhelmed if you are sat next to or opposite your ex-partner who you might not have seen or spoken to for many months. And then you suddenly asked a lot of mathematical questions about the value of your pension. Well, that would be enough to finish most of us off, really, you know. So we have to be super conscious of that, you know, and we are as a, as a team, we're very good at that. So in the pandemic, I retrained as a, a cognitive behavioral therapist so that I could have a much better understanding of the psychology behind what my clients are going through. You know, I just think so it's, it's not something I practice. It just aids my practice as a mediator. But that's
0: incredibly interesting because, you know, I heard you say that you're not a counsellor, but Mm -hmm. actually a lot of those skills must come into dealing with those situations to make sure that it remains practical. We try and take the emotion out of it. And of course, I love the fact that you went and did some CBT, some cognitive behavioural therapy training as well, because it's incredible how much a little bit of understanding from the professionals we're sitting in front of makes doesn't it to make it a very difficult situation for so sure. much easier
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure and it's really interesting that you say that because you're right there's a lot of counseling skills in there so I teach mediation um uh all over the world and when I'm training, a new group of mediators we will quite often find um, that the room is divided. And in the one half of the room, you'll have all the solicitors and lawyers. And in the other half of the room, you have all the counsellors and therapists. And the counsellors and therapists will look at the lawyers thinking, oh, they're going to be amazing at this, they're going to be so good, and they know all the law, and I don't know anything, and I'm going to be rubbish. And then you'll have the lawyers on their half of the room thinking, we're going to be amazing at this, we're going to be brilliant, we know all the law, we're going to smash this. And it's not until sort of day two of the course that there is a huge shift in thinking and that the lawyers suddenly realise that they have to deprogram their heads, that the counsellors and therapists have got this. They're very good at extracting information, asking all the right questions, really getting to the nub of the dispute. Whereas the lawyers have been so trained to just look at a case and evaluate it and give a, a solution and tell people what they should do there is a worry that sometimes they they overlook the real the real dispute the thing that really upsets mm. somebody and they don't pay enough attention to it so actually sort of there's a real level of partway through the course where suddenly the lawyers are having to re-engage their brains and think hang on really those softer skills of actually listening to somebody and not enforcing your own view or your own opinion on them is so important to this process. So important.
0: But we hear that so much as well, don't we? I mean, I know from my own experience with lawyers in the past, and, and you know, with from from clients that I work with, um, you know, my own lawyer, my own divorce um, solicitor, um, was very much at well, you should do this, and you should do that, and you should push for this, and you should push for that. When actually, I was also going through a you know a difficult situation health wise, and I just. You know, like you said at the beginning, just wanted it to go away. <laughs> like, yes. just give me yes. the paperwork, make it go away. You know, I'm not interested in, but you know, and it. But it took me a long time, and actually, several solicitors from the same firm because there was changes and inconsistencies in my case as well because of people retiring, people leaving, people being poorly. So you know, you find yourself spending a fortune, even just like sending an email to then backfill the information to whoever's taken over your case um and and my experience was I can't say this is the case for everybody of course but that I just I wasn't listened to and you know you were constantly chasing and every time you sent an email it cost you god knows how much just to send an email let alone for somebody to read it just take yeah. the inbox mm-hmm. in money which is something that really grated on me i think and i also don't get me wrong i realize that law firms have to make their money but um i feel like maybe that was something that resonated with you too when you heard well, the, yes the, yeah the but it was yeah. well because like you said i didn't feel listened to and i know countless other people i've spoken to that didn't you just kind of went with the process because you feel like you have to put your trust in the professionals who are qualified to to do what they think is best, not what actually turns out to be best for us as individuals.
1: Yes. Yeah. And as you say, dealing with it at arm's length, because mentally that feels like a nice thing to do, to not have to be dealing with it yourself. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's not until quite often you come out the process and and at the other end of it, look back and reflect. You know, at the time, it probably felt okay to just get someone else to deal with this and I'll just pay for it later. And I won't think about that now. But When you come out of it at the other end, years later, you reflect on that and think, you know, I just rolled over and I just did everything that I was told to do. And I never really questioned anything. I just kept writing the checks, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and I worry about that. And I know that solicitors are terribly overburdened. And this isn't to say that they don't do a great job and that there isn't a role for them in separation, divorce and disputes, because there absolutely is. You know, we'll always say it takes a village to get divorced. And it does. You know, you need help from all fronts uh, mm-hmm. and you know particularly at crowd for mediation we're very good at working with the solicitors to get the best results so it's really important that our clients have some realistic legal advice you know that gives them some realistic parameters for, for separation and divorce uh, and with civil commercial disputes as well I can't tell you how often you'll get somebody who comes in and says oh I've got a rock solid case all my mates down the pub say I have you know and You think, "Oh, no you haven't I can't be the bearer of bad news you know and I'm supposed to be impartial and it's really hard to sit there thinking oh you just need some really good legal advice right now to tell you that you should settle on this because actually it's maybe not as good a case as you think it is so we do need solicitors and lawyers they have a role to play in this for sure um but it's it, you know and there are some great ones out there who work with us regularly and we get great results between us for clients because you know we're helping them you know speed up the process it's much quicker it's much cheaper but they feel completely supported by it's good advice behind them i wouldn't get a better deal at court so they have the confidence to take the deal you know, and that's that's where the solicitor's all really fits in. But, it, yeah, it shouldn't just be all or one or all of the other. That doesn't mm.
0: help at all. That's mm. really interesting. So if is, has there ever been a case where you have thought, and obviously I realise you can't go into details, but um where you thought, actually, this is not appropriate for mediation. It needs to go through the court system. Do those instances come up?
1: Yeah, sadly they do, because every now and then you just get... um somebody who is irrational, and we say there's no negotiating with irrational, you know, you will get someone who says, I don't care if we both end up in the gutter, as long as he or she is in the gutter, I'm not bothered. And when you find yourself having to say, well, you're just cutting your nose off to spite your face, that doesn't make any sense. There's no negotiating with that. Tragically, Mm -hmm. those individuals need to end up in a court scenario where somebody has to make the decision for them. Otherwise, you know, you're wasting their time and their costs in mediation going on forever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often, though, I have to say. But, yeah, every now and then I think something's unsuitable. There are lots of people who will say that um, cases where there have been domestic abuse uh, there's a, is not suitable for mediation. There's a, a whole raft of thinking, and I don't know where it comes from, but a whole raft of thinking that says victims of abuse shouldn't mediate. I couldn't disagree more, um, I can't understand why we would make victims of abuse go through a court process where they have to live, breathe, sleep and eat this with their abuser for another 18 months, two years. You know, every time that letter arrives from the solicitor, every time there's another email, every time there's a court appearance and the abuser is there. Why, why would we put victims through that when they could mediate and have this over and done with in a matter of weeks, not even months, weeks? They could have this over and done with. And they would never have to come face to face with their abusers. They would never have to see or hear them. And there's so many safeguarding measures we can put in place to make sure, as I say, they can give from the comfort of their own home. They could have a support worker with them. You know, it is so much safer almost to do it mm-hmm. this way. Uh, and yet, for some reason, I, th- I think people have a misguided idea of mediation. People still think it's about, A, getting people back together, or B, that we would Put them in the same room around a table opposite each other and tell them to start
0: talking. We would never do that. That's not the case. No. And that's, do you know what? That's something that's so important for people to know as well, particularly around the abuse situation, because that. Mm In itself can be incredibly difficult for people who have Absolutely. experienced that like you say to have to relive all of that in court and drag it out for months and months and then think about like you say facing the people who have um, abused them you know that's just re-traumatizing them over and over, Absolutely. And over, and over again Absolutely. so to be able to do that like you say in weeks oh my goodness that is incredibly powerful isn't it and well you yeah. can almost feel the shoulders of the nation just you know relaxing down here mm-hmm. you say that thinking if i can uh, do in a matter of weeks and put mm-hmm. that behind me as much as possible that's so powerful Nicola. that's an incredible thing that you do it's a
1: massive thing but you know sadly we hear lots of people say oh my solicitor says or my support worker says that i can't mediate because i've i've been the victim of abuse and i think no if you listen to us, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to keep you safe from mm-hmm. that abuser. And we're going to make sure that you never see or hear them. We're going to support you the whole way and we're going to get it done quickly so you mm-hmm. can move on with your life. You know, making the break is, uh, is sometimes people say the hardest thing, but I don't think it is. I think the hardest thing is maintaining that break. You know, mm-hmm. once you've gone, it's then rebuilding and starting again. That's the tough bit. That's where the real work happens. And that's where people need most support.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's unbelievable. And thinking about that as well, you said you would put sort of safeguarding measures in place for those people as well. So presumably, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but would that be sort of working with um, the police around restraining orders or, you know, those kinds of measures that you would normally kind of associate with court proceedings? Because, again, in my head, I've got this very Mm old-fashioned view of, you know, obviously kind of the things that as mediators we're reigning against really to try and speed up that process in a better way. Um, but, you know, the things that we would normally attribute to having to go through the court process, like restraining orders and things like that, presumably you as, as licensed, qualified, fully qualified individuals could do that in terms of those safeguarding measures.
1: Well, we don't. We could, but we don't anymore because I think it's really important to us that we don't wear both hats. You know, you are either a mediator or you're a lawyer. You know, right. and I know there's lots of lawyer mediators out there, but I, for one, know that I would struggle to to be. I can't be brilliant at, at both at the same time. You know, I I'll think you <laughs> focus, <laughs> focus on one, do it really, really well, is my view. But I think that you know. Uh, we are able then to take, you know, those clients on board and signpost them in the right direction for mm-hmm. help and support, um, for divorce coaches, for counsellors, for um, domestic abuse um, charities who will help massively, uh, mm-hmm. for good solicitors we know who will get them um, injunctions and normalisation orders very quickly. Uh, so we can coordinate the whole thing if that makes sense. Yeah, So we have an excellent network of individuals who will bring that village together? To support that one person and get them through the process.
0: And that must lift an incredible weight off clients' shoulders as well. Because to be able to try and navigate that by yourself while going through that situation yes. is a lot, isn't mm-hmm. it, to try and figure out who those agencies are that can support me. Um mm-hmm. you know what does that even look like? What yeah. where do I you know, for a start, you know? Yes. You, uh, brain is so overwhelming. So,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's overwhelming, Mm -hmm. and especially for the victims of abuse who have usually spent years in relationships where they're told they're not worthy, they're not clever enough, they're not smart enough to ever pull any of this together themselves. You know, those people are the people who need all the empowering and all the help that we can possibly give them because for them, the easier thing to do would be to step back into the abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. you know. This is a mountain to climb, and at that moment... That's when they need someone to step in and say, right, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get you to the top of the mountain and it'll take a team of us, but we can do it. You know, that's what they need. And I, and I just I worry that a lot of the time those cases get funneled into a court process. And it's that's overwhelming. It's an awful lot for someone to deal with.
0: That's huge. Genetically, you've just painted this beautiful visual of like, an individual with a team of about 10 people behind them, just pushing mm-hmm. them up the hill and lifting yes. them up. I'm you know, I mean, a very visual person, you probably noticed, but I was like, wow, that is a really powerful visual because like you say, when we go through situations like this or any situations that we, we talk about here on Life's Conversations, then it's not a solo sport, is it? It's things where we no. need people around us, people who know mm-hmm. what they're talking about, people who can lift us up, people who understand to be able to get us through those situations situations. Mm-hmm. So to know that you're out there with incredible values and to be able to do this quicker in a more understanding way, in a much less traumatic way, is absolutely yeah. incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, yeah. Yet, yeah, not many people know about it or understand it. So quite often when we're having discussions about promoting mediation all the time, I'm always saying it's really difficult to promote our practice because we have to do an education piece first. So, It's telling people what mediation is and then why we're the best at it. You know, if you're selling a chocolate bar, everyone knows what a chocolate bar is. So you can just go straight to we have the best chocolate bar. Uh, we, as mediators, we find that really difficult having to educate first and then tell people why we're very good at it. We are quite a unique practice in that, you know, we are, um, we call ourselves a bit of a one-stop shop for disputes. So if you have, uh, it's not just divorce and separation. We are civil commercial stuff, workplace mediations, you know, if you're uh, having a tough time at work or you've got two employees who are not getting on any of that, you know, if, if you've got a dispute, we will have a mediator who would cover it. Uh, there's not many other mediation practices like ours we're the largest in the north of england uh but lots of mediators tend to just be practicing alone um and i always think that's really sad we should all get together so that we can learn Mm -hmm. from each other more Mm -hmm.
0: it's Mm -hmm. interesting about the workplace disputes as well i did just Mm -hmm. want to ask because as we're recording this um we um because we're not live I don't know if you can tell that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, as we're recording this in the media this morning, um, I, I caught Good Morning Britain this morning. And there was a lot of chat around um, menopause and encouraging workplaces to support menopausal women. And yes. um, that's my job about menopause, particularly um, supporting menopausal women in the workplace because people are now taking their, um, taking their employers to court and winning Um, under the legislation of age, sex and disability around menopause, because they're not supported or their workplace is um, not understanding or they feel like they have to leave because they're not up to the job anymore. And there's no support there to show them that actually, if we get you the right support, you are absolutely up to your job if this is the chosen field that you want to stay in. So are you seeing more cases like that coming through?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I'm seeing more and more employers being very conscious of it and worried about it in a way that they, they weren't previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as a result, we're seeing lots of um, lots of employees who are suddenly more aware of their rights, which I think is brilliant. I always think that's great. But then when they're raising those rights in the workplace and saying, actually, can I have, you know, or can we do this? Can we accommodate this? the problem is that they're not being listened to and they're not being heard. And that's when there will be a dispute arises. And that's when either, as you say, it ends up going to a tribunal or a court or it comes into mediation, you know, but it's about sitting down and educating everybody about their rights Not just the employees, the employer has to be more aware of employees' rights in relation to this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, because around menopause, there's no real legislation, is there? There's the British standards that say Mm -hmm. these are the guidelines and the things that we recommend. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of legislation, really, it's not... There's nothing specific around what businesses have to do. So all the guidance is around, you know, it's a good idea to have a menopause policy. It's a good idea to, you know, create these, uh, you know, reasonable adjustments. And 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 I guess to some degree, um, you know, the age, sex, and disability covers that off a little bit, and also some of the health and safety guidance around, um, reasonable adjustments. But it's not because someone has told businesses they don't have to. You know, in my experience and what I see working with clients, they just because they don't have to they don't want to
1: yes uh, so it's, then the short-sightedness of that is that if you don't do it then you lose good staff mm-hmm. you know and recruitment is a massive problem for, for employers uh, quite often when we get called into a workplace mediation i will say talk to me about this so we go, well, you've got two members of staff here Is one of them somebody who who you would like to leave? You know, is that something you want me to talk about uh, in the the mediation? Uh, And more often than not, they'll say, no, they're both great members of staff. We really need to keep them. Don't want anyone to leave. Um, we just, we need this fixing, it needs to be better, They need to have a better working relationship, or we need to put better, you know, uh, protocols and systems in place to support that person, but we don't mm-hmm. know what they are, and what should we do? <laughs> so, yeah, it is, I think employees are, are sort of picking up sticks quickly with this, probably not quick enough in some sectors, um, but learning fast, and so they should, because they don't want to lose good staff. And mm-hmm. just because it isn't legislated for,
0: doesn't mean it shouldn't happen Mm -hmm. absolutely I I, I, couldn't agree with you more you know I'm sitting here thinking yes 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 absolutely do all of that Um, because it is so incredibly important you know when we get to this I guess this I always say, you know, menopause is not an age issue, it's a hormone issue, particularly. But when we get to this stage of life, we have already got years of experience under our belt. There's a lot of talent and a lot of experience that businesses are losing. So, you know, whilst, you know, these poor people who are experiencing really debilitating symptoms feel like they're not up to the job, you know, the businesses are also suffering as well because their bottom line suffers. So, for them to be more menopause aware, actually, it's a really great recruitment tool because then you're looking at an age of experience that you can bring in yeah. to your business. But also, it's a fantastic retention tool to to create a culture of understanding and adjustment to keep yeah. the staff that do a great job. Massively, yeah. What is the point of training all of those staff and getting them to be brilliant
1: and then sort of reaching that particular age where they all just drop off a ledge, which just suddenly starts... Not supporting them, you know, and we run the risk of losing them. I never understand the logic for a business behind that at mm-hmm. all. Um, and so, as you say, it's about retention, but a good policy on this isn't just retention, it's recruitment, knowing that you work for an organization where you're going to be supported. I was at a, um, at a, a networking conference thing in the in the middle east in dubai um just before christmas and it was talking about menopause in the workplace and it was really interesting there was this incredibly fabulous progressive company who was saying they have a, a cop's day and i don't know if this is something you've heard of Suzanne, but it's a chocolate on the sofa day oh. uh, and so anybody is allowed to have a cop's day if you need one and it just is that you say i just need to be at home today if that's okay and no oh, questions asked You can just do it, you know, and I love this. And I know that loads of employers will say, oh, it's completely open to abuse. We'll have all the staff on the sofa eating chocolate all the time, you know, but I I kind of feel like sometimes the pandemic has shown us that that's not the case. Everybody started working from home in the pandemic and productivity did not fall. In fact, productivity increased. So actually, if you trust your workforce and if you give them a cops stay, I think they pay it back tenfold. Absolutely. You know, I think it's worth exploring that more, more companies should do this. And they were saying they hadn't noticed that anybody really took advantage of it, you know, um, that, but at the same time, they valued it so much that it, just knowing that you could have that day if you needed it. Just to have, to have great, the opportunity. so
0: powerful, yeah. isn't it? That's isn't incredible. It? Yeah, we mm-hmm. need more people on board with that. Because I know that we talk quite often, particularly in menopause trainings through businesses, because um, I do a lot of awareness training with, with businesses mm-hmm. um, around the idea of menopause leave. So we're not necessarily talking about have leave for the duration of your menopause, because that could be, you know, it could mm-hmm. 14 years for some people. So that's a lot of leave, isn't it, for businesses? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. But just like you're saying there, um, you know we call them duvet days um, but hot mm-hmm. days are like that chocolate on the couch um, you know doing doing something like that is really powerful because people then know that they've got the option so if they're not feeling up to it is there the option for them to either work from the sofa mm-hmm. or just yes. have to stay off altogether um, yes. you know, and then mm-hmm. come back refreshed and be more productive the next mm-hmm. day you because know, we talk a lot about taking breaks proper breaks and things like that and looking after ourselves so that then cognitively speaking when there's a brain fog kicking in and memory issues you know we give our brain that reset to then come yes. back to the next day or in the next few hours mm-hmm. um so that's massive. Yeah. I love that. Oh, my gosh. I feel like anybody right. who's listening now, they're all going to come to Nicola at of Mediation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I just find all is- of this fascinating, though, you know, this whole concept of education. I think, gosh, how have generations of women before us managed? I just don't... I, I just, Boggles the brain to think how we've managed to do this before now, you know. And, and hearing um, about menopause coaches like yourself who can come into workplaces just to tell people that it's okay to do this and have you thought about this and you're not alone. We're all experiencing this, you know, that that not alone is such a positive message. Um, and just more employers should be bringing in menopause coaches to talk about this. And we're seeing more and more of it, but yeah. uh, I yeah. think it should be standardized. Yeah
0: yeah absolutely and it doesn 't have to be big, expensive measures to support mm-hmm. people and This is the case for a plethora of different you know challenges, not necessarily just menopause, but you know I do some work with a large engineering firm and they do a, a once a month support group um which I facilitate and we talked about things like access to cold drinking water and putting some free sanitary ware in the bathrooms, you know making sure that yeah. where people um might be working in a hot stuffy office, just making sure they've got access to some fresh air or some cool air, whether that's a fan or a, um, you know, or sitting under the air conditioning. Really simple, low cost measures that make all the difference and, you know, make employees feel, again, it goes back to making them Mm -hmm. feel listened to and supported, which is what it's all about, isn't it? And and by the sounds of it, exactly what you do for everybody that comes through your doors is is make them feel Mm -hmm. listened to and supported, which is... Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. the backbone of everything, I think, in terms of how we deliver our services to people, isn't it? It absolutely
1: is, yeah. Making them feel listened to and supported, but also making sure that they see it from each other's perspective. I think that, you know, when you're doing your coaching, it must be, must be, you must have wonderful moments where you're explaining all of this, particularly to men who maybe have no concept that this is even going on for that much-loved, valued employee or colleague and for them to suddenly be told, yeah, there are going to be days when your colleague feels like this, did you know? On those days, cut them some slack or just be understanding of it, you know? Um, and I think that that's really important, that we educate everybody, not just women, <laughs> but absolutely. see it from each other's perspective. That's, yeah. you know, And that's how you avoid disputes. Yeah,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. couldn't agree more. And I think when we do that, you know, I've had so many clients, and maybe you have too, where you think, oh, actually, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that can just yeah. change the face of the, the entire conversation, can't it? Completely,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Just seeing and it from a different angle. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. important sometimes. We all become a bit blinkered and we all become a bit tunnel visioned, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, sometimes just opening your mind and listening to somebody else's perspective is yeah.
0: so valuable. Mm hmm. Nicola thank you so much for spending your time with us today I could go on Not forever gone. talking to you because there's so many interesting topics <laughs> that we can touch on um, but for, for anybody listening who thinks oh actually I really need some support from a mediator now I've heard what I've heard um, I need support how can people find you Nicola?
1: So they can find us on our website at Uh they can find us on LinkedIn Um you know, and we are open for a chat at any time if anybody's got any questions or something, or they think it might not be for them. By all means, just approach us and ask us, you know. I, when we set this business up over 10 years ago now, I set it up. I want it to be very different to law firms. So we don't charge for letters, telephone calls, emails. We charge just simply for the time that you spend with the mediator and nothing else around that. So don't be afraid to get in touch wow. and ask us anything, anytime. You won't get a hidden bill for that that you weren't
0: expecting. Wow. my I mean, you just saw my go up there go oh my gosh that in itself will save people a yeah. fortune so thank you so much yeah. for that so you know if you are in need of support you know please do reach out to Nicola and her team and um, they are amazing I have met a couple of them now um and you know from what we've learned today my eyes have certainly been opened and I'll always come to a mediator. I think before I even consider <laughs> going down um, going down the other route so thank you so much for your time Nicola it's been an Not absolute all. eye-opener today and I hope it has for you listening out there um as well um so um i think we'll leave it there again and hopefully we'll get you back as well to talk about some more stuff because that'd be super exciting but uh, of but course anytime thank you, anytime. Um, thank, you very so, much. Yes, well, thank you for listening to life's conversations this week and we will uh, we'll see you for more next time you have been listening to life's conversations with me suzanne barber and my wonderful poddy pilot producer dave of course if you're worried about any physical or emotional symptoms you might be experiencing please do contact the appropriate clinical professional Alternatively, you can get in touch with me on my website, Barber Coaching, So that's b a r b o u r coaching.life forward slash contact. Or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Just search for Suzanne Barber. If you'd like to learn more about managing your peri or perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms and protect your long term health, please come and join us at our supportive, wonderful Facebook group called Mastering Your Menopause. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, then like and subscribe. And of course, leave us a five-star review. That's what keeps us going, so don't forget. Also, tell your friends, tell your family, and even tell the dog. We'll see you next time on a next episode of Life's Conversation.